Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. Over 70,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash gps. netsuite.com slash gps. This is GPS, the global public square. Welcome to all of you in the United States and around the world. I'm Fareed Zakaria, coming to you live. On today's show, the man of the moment, Volodymyr Zelensky. I will ask the Ukrainian president how his country is defending itself from the Russian invasion and what he needs from Western powers to keep up the fight. We'll discuss the end game of this tragic conflict. Is compromise possible with Putin, a man President Biden has termed a war criminal? I will ask about the personal toll that this is taking on him, his family, and his country. Let's get started on this special edition of GPS. It has been nearly a month since Russia invaded Ukraine, and the Institute for the Study of War put out an assessment yesterday that said Ukrainian forces have defeated Russia's initial campaign in the war. The think tank declared that the fighting is now a stalemate. Nonetheless, the Russian assault on military bases and some key cities has been brutal. In the eastern city of Mariupol, many hundreds of people are believed to be buried under a rubble of a bombed-out theater, despite the fact that children was written in huge letters outside the venue in Russian. And on Friday, Russia raised the stakes by using a hypersonic weapon to destroy a Ukrainian ammunition depot. Meanwhile, the Ukrainian military, along with ordinary citizens and foreign fighters, continues to put up a fierce fight against Putin's invaders. My guest for this hour today is Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky. President Zelensky, welcome to the show. Greetings. Greetings to you all. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak with you. President Biden has called Vladimir Putin a war criminal. Um, and yet, you have called for negotiations with him. Will it be hard? Will it be a painful for you to have to sit down with Putin were he to agree uh, and uh, negotiate with him? I am ready for negotiations with him. I was ready uh, um, over the last two years. And I think that I think that without negotiations, we cannot end this war. I think that all the people uh, who uh, uh, who think that this dialogue is, uh, is shallow and that it is not going to resolve anything, they just don't understand that this is very valuable. If there is just one percent chance for us to stop this war, I think that we we need to take this chance. We need to do that. 
I, I can tell you about the result of, of these negotiations. So, uh, in any case, uh, we are we are losing people on a daily basis, innocent people on the ground. Russian forces have come to exterminate us, to kill us. And we have demonstrated the dignity of our people and our army that uh, we are uh, we are able to deal a, a powerful blow. We are able to strike back. But unfortunately, our dignity is not going to preserve the lives. So I think that we have to use any format, any chance uh, in order to have a possibility of negotiating, the possibility of talking to Putin. But if these attempts fail, that would mean that, that this is a third world war. You know the Russian demands. Um, they want you to recognize that Crimea is part of Russia, that the two republics in the Donbass are, are independent republics. They want a guarantee, perhaps in the Ukrainian constitution, that Ukraine will never be a member of NATO. Are you willing to make those compromises? There are compromises for which we cannot be ready as an independent state. Uh, any compromises uh, related to our territorial integrity and our sovereignty, and um, uh, the Ukrainian people have uh, spoken about it. They have not greeted Russian soldiers with a bunch of flowers. Uh, they have greeted them with, with bravery. Uh, they have greeted them with weapons in their hands. So, um, forcibly, you cannot make yourself a friend. You cannot curry favor with the citizens of another country forcibly. You cannot just make a present of another country to, to recognize anything by the use of force. So, uh, everything that they are doing is not just about politics, it's, it's, about, it's about reality. They have made their way to Kherson region, uh, but people are... Uh, are feeling hatred towards them, animosity, and people will continue to kill Russians because Russians have killed their children. You cannot, you cannot uh, reverse this situation anymore. So you cannot just demand uh, from Ukraine to recognize some territories as independent republics. These compromises are simply wrong. I cannot recognize, uh, firstly, as a president, secondly, as a citizen, and thirdly, you cannot force people to love the enemy. That's impossible. What you can do is to make a pause and just decide on how we are going to live further on. What has to be done in order to put an end to the war, to prevent further wars, and how to find uh, an approach to these territories which are temporarily occupied. This is a very difficult matter because part of these territories were occupied uh, eight years ago, and during entire period of eight years, they have been brainwashing people and children on whom they are. They've been telling them that, um, that they have uh, preserved their lives. They have been telling lies that Ukrainians are fascists. They have been filling their heads uh, with lies for many years. And it's very difficult because of that to, to find understanding. You, de you definitely understand me what information policies mean. Therefore, we have to come up with a model where Ukraine will not lost its sovereignty, its territorial integrity. We cannot concede to it. But 
Still, we have to find a model of understanding to prevent further wars uh, between our territories that we control and temporary occupied territories. So whatever the discussions that we have in our negotiating delegations, I think that uh, it's just the two of us, me and Putin, who can make an agreement on this. Uh, the second story is related to ultimatums that cannot be there emanating from one country to another country. I mean, in general uh, and concretely in terms of Russia's ultimatums to Ukraine. And there cannot be any ultimatums from any country whatsoever to another country, regardless of the army it has, regardless of the finance, regardless of the, the size of the economy, because it's international law. It's about respect to the sovereignty of each country. Therefore, dialogue is the only way out. And it is for dialogue that we have to resolve the matter of security guarantees for Ukraine. We do not want to give any country a, a possibility to attack us. Today, it's the Russian Federation. Hopefully, any other country will not be willing to attack Ukraine's independence. But still, you can see that uh, Belarus launched rockets against Ukraine at the very beginning. Therefore, uh, that, that's, a, that's a matter uh, uh, on the table right now. Therefore, NATO could be a source of guarantees for Ukraine, but we are not accepted as a member of NATO. So Ukraine has to seek for other security guarantees from individual countries. That could be NATO members. And that is what we are proposing. A number of leaders of the world's countries could be a source of guarantees for Ukraine. They could be part of this circle of powerful countries. That is what we can talk about, security guarantees for Ukraine. Next on GPS, I'll ask Zelensky about his quest for NATO membership and, frankly, whether giving it up sooner could have averted war. Back in a moment. Back now with more of my exclusive interview with Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky. You know, you have said in recently that Ukraine uh, perhaps will not be a member of NATO. You have con uh, admitted that. Could that concession, there are people who ask, could that concession, had you made it clearly and, uh, and loudly earlier, could that have prevented this war? Farid, well, Farid, uh, here's the deal. Uh, I spoke uh, about... Uh, what NATO members told me. Uh, so, if we do not have uh, uh, leaders of the countries uh, to put them in a position where they have to answer questions from citizens of their countries, uh, that has to be a very long-term matter. Uh, I, I made a point that uh, the war in Ukraine has been lasting for eight years. It's not just some special military operation. So uh, if Russia continues to, to take soundings, uh, testing the ground, and if they do not see any kind of response from the West, they will continue to advance. I have been talking about this um, from the very first day of my presidency. I did not talk about this in public. Uh, 
uh, because I didn't want to give them the possibility to reinforce their position. Now the world, the whole world is seeing that our army army is strong. But uh, the leaders of world countries, all leaders, most leaders of uh, NATO and uh, European Union, uh, were well aware of my position. I told them that we uh, we are running out of time. You have to admit Ukraine into NATO right now. We do not have much time. You have to accept Ukraine as a member of EU. We deserve these alliances. We are just reinforcing you. We're strengthening you, and you will see it. You will see the attitude of Belarusian people, uh, who is a very, who has a very favorable attitude to me. I have been telling about this from the very first day of my presidency. You have to come up with a concrete program for Ukraine. Take concrete steps. We will strengthen your position, not you. Will strengthen yours, and that will be a very clear and very correct message to the Russian leadership and to the Russian people that we are a unitary state and that, that they cannot exert any kind of military pressure on us. But um, everyone in the West told me that we do not have any, we do not have any chance of NATO EU membership. I asked them not to drive the Ukrainian people into a corner because uh, our people are brave and the West should also be brave in telling directly to the Ukrainian people that, well, you're not going to be NATO EU member. They do not have a consolidated position, and I requested that personally. I requested them personally to, to say directly that we are going to accept you into NATO or NATO in a year or two or five. To say it directly and clearly or just say no. And the response was very clear. You are not going to be a NATO or EU member, but publicly the doors will remain open. Um, I just I asked them about preemptive sanctions. I talked about Nord Stream 2. We were discussing all of it. And simultaneously we were strengthening our army. Because with neighbors like this, like we have, this is the only way out. That's what we were doing. We, uh, we did not mention explicitly of how many people are ready to go to war and how much equipment we have. And I think that that was a very, a very, very good position. It was the right position. We did not uh, warn the enemy that we were going to be ferociously resisting, and that worked. And we are continuing to to warding off this aggression, and everyone is seeing this. Uh, so NATO cannot just tell to Ukraine that. Uh, so Ukraine cannot uh, say that it is not going to join NATO. NATO is saying that it is not going to admit Ukraine. That is the truth. Um, many countries have supported Ukraine, I mean, among members of the alliance, but um, quite a considerable share of NATO members, unfortunately, due to various reasons, have not done that. Some of them were afraid of a neighbor like Russia, and that was for a reason, because we are just witnessing Russia uh, doing those horrendous things in Ukraine. Perhaps some of these NATO members had some business arrangements with Russia. They, they are not helping due to energy links and trade links to Russia. So business is also has a role to play. 
I mean, big money. Uh, but actually, Ukraine is paying a much steeper price than big money. We are, we are paying with our people. So uh, my rhetoric is absolutely true. And I'm just, I'm not mentioning explicitly what countries said that Ukraine is not going to be a NATO member. I think that this is a very righteous position. It has to remain behind the scenes, but that is true. The fact that NATO members are supporting us economically or militarily, that yes, that is true, and we are very grateful for it. Indeed, very grateful, because without this help, it would be much, much more difficult for us. That is true. But if we were a NATO member, a war uh, wouldn't have started. So now I li I'd like to receive security guarantees for my country, for my people. If NATO members are, are ready to, to see us in the alliance, then do it immediately, because people are dying on a daily basis. But if you are not ready to preserve the lives of our people, uh, if you just want to see us straddle two world, worlds, if you want to see us in this dubious position where uh, we do not understand whether you can accept us or not. You cannot uh, place us in this situation. You cannot uh, force us to be in this limbo. Next on GPS, top Russian officials from Putin on down have claimed that a prime reason for the invasion was to denazify Ukraine. How does Zelensky, who is Jewish, react to this outrageous lie? I'll ask him that when we come back. President Putin has repeatedly referred to the Ukrainian government as neo-Nazis and says one of his reasons for invading was to denazify the country. It is all lies, of course. And for President Zelensky, it's personal. More of my exclusive interview with him. When you hear Vladimir Putin talk about uh, the Ukrainian government as being full of neo-Nazis. Um, as somebody who is of Jewish descent, if, um, how, does, how do you react to, that, to those statements? Well, uh, there are rare occasions when I smile and when I laugh. Uh, and uh, for me to hear it, it's as if something, uh, something similar to a joke. Uh, I cannot take this uh, this statement seriously. So, uh, when you, upon hearing the situation, uh, hearing the statements at first, you just uh, think to yourself that uh, this person has been in the leadership position for so many years, and it is, and this person is supposed to have a very clear understanding of uh, what Ukrainian people are because of the Soviet uh, legacy. But uh, I think that currently Putin is an information bubble. I think this is information bunker. Uh, and it, it is so uh, it is so uh, powerful, this bunker of information, that he really thinks that Ukrainians are, are neo-Nazis. So this is a laughable statement uh, for me. But uh, then, um, then a strike of fear resurfaces 
I'm not afraid of anything except for people. But um, the the fact is that if he is serious about these statements, he might be capable of very horrendous steps, because that would mean that this is not a game for him. If he really believes in this, if it's not a game, then we will just continue fighting against it. If it's a game, but if it's not a game, if he's serious about it, if he thinks that this is his mission to conquer our territories, and if he sees uh, uh, signs of neo-Nazism in our country, that many questions emerge about what else he is capable of doing for the sake of his ambitions, for the sake of his mission. So this what gives rise to a, a feeling which is not very pleasant and which is very frightening, very hazardous, that, uh, that it can be an information bubble which will continue to exert pressure and it will pressurize Putin to, to further escalation. Can I ask you something about your family history, your grandfather? Uh, Simon Simeon uh, is the only survivor during uh, out of the Holocaust and World War II. Um, w- w- tell us a little bit about that and what what was the lesson? What are the values you drew from it when you would hear those stories in your family? Well, uh, my grandfather and his four brothers uh, were living in an ordinary village Uh, and then the Second World War started. My grandfather uh, was graduating from military college at that time and all of his his brothers uh, went to war because their father said that they had to protect the country, they had to fight fascism, so they went to war and all the brothers died and my grandfather uh, survived the entire war Uh, his father and his mother uh, uh, were were killed in a a terrible fire Uh, the the Nazis set a place the entire village where they lived and where my grandfather was born Uh, all the brothers uh, all the brothers uh, perished uh, in the front line he was alone to be left standing. He he returned home. Uh, he ended up in the city of Kravirich, where I was born. Uh, he was a, a, a captain of an infantry unit. Uh, he was awarded with uh, a number of uh, military orders, like a red cross, like a red star, for his heroism and his bravery. He was wounded at war, and after the war, he uh, he started working as an investigator, uh, catching criminals, and uh, eventually uh, he became a colonel uh, in independent Ukraine. So that is his basically his life story. So uh, when Russians are telling about neo-Nazis and they turn to me, uh, I just uh, replied that I have lost uh, my entire family in the war because all of them were exterminated during World War II. 
a number of my distant uh, relatives uh, are still uh, are still living uh, some uh, some of them are in the United States and Poland or in Israel that is what I know so basically that is all so Nazism uh, um, in our family evokes a, a a huge amount of misunderstanding. So we do not understand uh, what they are talking about. What, what kind of Nazis in the country? Uh, uh, we fought a war with these people, Nazis. So uh, I have a question to those who are raising the topic of Nazism in the Russian Federation. I'd like to hear from, from there from them uh, in what front lines did their grandfathers fought, uh, what countries their grandfathers liberated, how their grandfathers fought in Nazi Germany. I have this question to them. When some politicians in the Russian Federation are raising this topic of neo-Nazism, Nazism, fascism related to me, I have a question that, well, my biography is open, and everything. Everyone is well aware about my biography. You have to. You can. You can find uh, uh, facts about my family and open sources. But what about uh, the relatives of Russians? Uh, I, I do not know about anything about their relatives of Russians who fought in the Second World War. Who was talking about the Nazis? The entire territory of Ukraine was occupied. The Nazi regime occupied the entire territory of Ukraine. And Ukraine fought against Nazis. And uh, by the way, uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, for more than uh, 70 days, Kiev resisted the offensive of Nazis. Fought the way it is fighting now. It has always been fighting. For, for many days, uh, it, for many days, it was repelling the attacks. It was a great battle. Many people were dead, but uh, they still they continued their resistance. And I know many people in Russia uh, who were occupied and who struggled against uh, the Hitler's regime. But Kyiv was occupied, and Moscow was not. And for you cannot say. You cannot just, they cannot just say about their feelings that Ukraine is a betrayer on the, or that we are neo-Nazis, because Russians are acting in the same manner as neo-Nazis at the moment. If you take a look at the history, at scientific materials, you can just look at what Nazis did. They blockaded Kiev, they blockaded other cities to prevent the supplies of water and food. And this is exactly what Russians are doing now. This is what they are doing in Mariupol. They are, they are just going to the city, saying that everything is going to be all right, and that this is uh, Russian territory, they're just claiming it, so their methods have remained unchanged. And the fact is that they are betraying the history of their own homeland, because uh, what we are having now in Mariupol, in Kyiv, they had the same in Leningrad, which is now St. Petersburg, formerly known as Leningrad. Everyone knows how many people died during the blockade of Leningrad. 
These people did not have enough food and water, and this is exactly what is happening in Ukraine. So who is the Nazi? Next on GPS, I will ask Volodymyr Zelensky about the toll the war is taking on him and his family. President Zelensky has said he believes that he is Russia's number one target. And their number one, number two target, Zelensky says, is his wife and two young children. I wanted to understand how this war was affecting all of them. Just personally, how are you holding up? Nothing in your professional life has prepared you for this extraordinary uh, ordeal you're going through. Uh, how are you handling it just personally? Well, you know, I'm doing just uh, every, everything uh, that everyone else in Ukraine is doing. We have, uh, we have made up our team to defend our country. So it seems to me that uh, a person does not need to turn into anyone else. That is important when you can be just yourself. And uh, when you have uh, just this real feeling, and when you have uh, this uh, real, very sincere attitude to your people, uh, in spite uh, of, uh, regardless of whether you are present or not, it's of supreme importance that you like your people, your country, your neighbors. And uh, in peaceful times where you get, you, you feel the pleasure from work, uh, uh, and from the results that you get from your work, uh, it, it seems to me that this is the most important thing. So I'm holding up quite well. Um, as of now, the my weakest point is losing people, losing children in this huge numbers, uh, in this huge amount of casualties. Uh, I, I go to sleep with this information about uh, children who were killed, and we are we are continue to pray uh, in order to prevent uh, new losses of people. But so far, we haven't attained this result. So this is the most important moment. Uh, uh, we we are trying to defend our sovereignty, defend our country. Uh, for me, this is a honor. So it's not that hard for me. You're a young man. You have a young family. And I have to, I, I, I keep wondering, how do you explain to your children what is going on? My children know for sure what is happening. And I don't know whether it's good or bad. I have not explained anything to my children. They have said to me that war is raging in Ukraine. And at our home, we have the same freedom of speech as we have in our country. And they know what we are fighting for. They understand all of that. The first uh, two days, we did not talk about it at all. And my family and they did not ask questions. They were thinking about it themselves, of what is happening. They are proud of Ukraine, very proud. And they entertain a sincere hope in our victory. Uh, children believe in victory. Uh, but they do not believe in it in terms of uh, a score in some in some sort of a game, uh, like in football. Like we have killed ten people uh, from Russia, and they have killed 
five people from Ukraine. They simply believe that the good shall prevail. It may seem uh, banal, uh, but this is, this is it. And uh, in order to prevail, the good people have to sacrifice themselves. Unfortunately, uh, fortunately, we do not have to explain anything to our children. Uh, fortunately, they have access to any kinds of videos and news. And uh, I see to it that their access to these videos is open. They have access to it. Uh, I think uh, that my people, that my children, uh, should not be prohibited from seeing any kinds of uh, uh, videos uh, of what Russia has made. Um, my son, my son has to be aware of it uh, because uh, while my son is alive, that means that some Ukrainian uh, army member is giving up his own life for that, for this. Next on GPS, a final video message from President Zelensky. As his country prepares to mark a month of war, you'll be amazed at the optimism of this special video that will be released on GPS. I'm going to play you a video that President Zelensky wanted to release right here on GPS. A warning to viewers, the video contains graphic content. Here it is, produced by the Ukrainian government and narrated by Zelensky himself. Was a simple verb, merely a part of speech used in everyday life. But it's not that simple for us, because now the everyday Ukrainians simply cannot say was without bursting into tears. This was my home. This was my friend. This was my dog. This was my car. This was my job. And this was my father. And this was my daughter. The millions and millions of fresh wounds are bleeding with that wound. Russia has drowned Ukraine in tears and blood and children corpses. But there is one thing Russia doesn't get. Was is the word that describes its life. And we Ukrainians already know what will come next. We will win. And there will be new houses. There will be new cities. There will be new dreams. There will be a new story. There will be, there's no doubt. And those we've lost will be remembered. And we will sing again. And we will celebrate anew. Yes, Ukraine was beautiful. But now it will become great, great Ukraine. You made this video. And what, we, what, I, what is the message that you really want to convey to the West, to the world uh, with it? Um, because it's a very optimistic video, but we are still living in a very tragic, difficult time. And that you in particular are living in a very difficult moment. The video this is the video. Uh, why it is so optimistic is that 
we have a very profound faith in ourselves and a very profound faith in the West, profound faith in people. I've seen people in squares who are taking to the streets. Uh, uh, these people in Western countries uh, have different positions from those held by their leaders. And I, I implore the Western leaders uh, to, to, match, to match the aspirations of their people. I've seen people in various continents throughout the United States and Europe, and there is tremendous support from them coming to Ukraine. We can see that our values are alike, our languages are different, but they do not matter. Our religions, our faiths are different, and every person uh, has, has a choice uh, in terms of religions and faiths, but our values are common, are shared. There are, there are a lot of positive moments in this video. There is reality. There is also a, a positive attitude and faith. My personal faith in the fact that people are, the people throughout the planet have shared values. It's not simply about to give us help or save our souls, but about the fact that we have to be united. We are fighting for our freedom, for our lives. Unfortunately, uh, we have to fight for our lives at the expense of another lives. We have to earn a life for the entire civilization. And in order to, to make this happen, we are giving up our own lives. This is not right. So we have to unite. We have to unite in our energy we have to be united because um, that means that it means that salvation is there. Mr. President, it's a pleasure to talk to you. It's an honor to have had you on the on this program. Uh, please stay safe. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much, Reid. A final thought from me. I have met President Zelensky several times. He struck me as bright, nimble, engaging, and obviously with a great sense of humor. He even once took part in a brief comedy sketch after a dinner. Listening to him now, I see a man, a leader transformed, who has risen to the occasion and met his moment. As he spoke, I thought of the eloquent words that adorn the first page of Winston Churchill's magnificent World War II memoirs. In war, resolution. In defeat, defiance. In victory, magnanimity. In peace, goodwill. President Zelensky has shown the world his resolution and his defiance. Let us hope that one day soon he gets to demonstrate more of his magnanimity and goodwill. Thanks to all of you for being part of this special program this week. I will see you next week. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.